0: Hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 317 of Sustainable Minimalists. On today's show, we are reigning in the impulse spending. Now let's just all get on the same page. Let's be real for a moment. Buying things on impulse can be really darn fun, at least in the moment, right? There's that rush of dopamine, which is responsible for that shopping high, but there is a big but, right? It might feel good in the moment, but Americans impulsively spend an average of $276 per month, which is $3,312 a year, and about just under $200,000 over a lifetime. Holy moly. Now, Dave Ramsey defines an impulse buy as anything you purchase that's not planned in your budget ahead of time. I define impulse spending slightly differently. So for the purposes of this show, an impulse buy is anything you purchase without intention, without forethought. So you didn't practice your conscious consumer habits. You didn't do your research ahead of time. And I should say here too, and we're going to get into it in the conversation today, but impulse buys are often emotional. There's often an underlying feeling driving the buy. Of course, the marketing that's all around us doesn't help (laughs) matters at all. But today I'm speaking with Jen Smith and Jill Siriani. They are the co-hosts of the super successful, super popular podcast, Frugal Friends, Ladies, I am so excited to talk to you both today. Big fan of your podcast. Congratulations on its success, by the way. I want to start there. I feel as though as a podcast host, there's a difference between subscribing to a lifestyle or having a sort of values. There's that. And then there's also subscribing to a lifestyle, having these values and creating a podcast about it. So I'd love for you both to tell me, maybe Jen, will start with you. How did you find yourself interested in frugality as a lifestyle? And how then did you decide to go all in and start a podcast about it?
1: Yeah, for me, at least it was I when my husband and I were paying off our student loans, we paid off $78,000 of debt in two years. I really did get really miserable near the midpoint. I felt very alienated. I felt very deprived. And so one of the reasons that I set out to like study frugality and really embrace the lifestyle was it must be possible to be fiscally responsible and not miserable. So that's what I started looking for. And then as I started to find it, I was like, I can't be the only person Feeling this way. Like, I feel like now it's my responsibility to help other people learn what I've learned. Like, I'm not an expert. I'm just like five steps ahead. But I think that that gives us like, there's a perspective that you can give when you're just like a friend who's a few steps ahead versus like a super expert. There's such a different perspective. And I felt like I can bring that perspective as somebody who is not perfect, who is just trying to make it and figure it out.
2: Uh, for for me, the journey from frugality as a lifestyle into podcasting, it, certainly many of the behaviors that associate a frugal lifestyle were embedded in me from a young age. I think the definition and the way frugality is lived out has shifted a lot for me. But I think one of the motivators to, to move into the space of podcasting and talking about the frugal journey and redefining it was seeing a lack of content and resources that felt attainable for the average person. I know when Jen and I met and we kind of chatted about finances, she was essentially a, a finance journalist and, and knew a lot in this space, considered herself a money nerd and knew about insurance and investments and used all these acronyms for conferences she went to and you know the finance acronyms that are that are out there that I felt like I should know these things, but then you kind of feel silly or stupid or dumb asking what they are because people throw out this lingo as if everyone knows it. So then you just kind of move through life thinking, well, maybe it's just not for me then, but yet realizing, oh, I'm not the only one. It started to become apparent to me. I'm not the only one who doesn't really understand this. And maybe there's room for people to talk about this in, in a more attainable way that's a Approachable, that I don't feel silly asking these questions. And so it was also an endeavor for me in pursuing the podcast to say, I'm going to learn more by doing this. And as I'm learning more, maybe I can be a vo- the voice for the average person who's like, what does that mean?
0: Hmm. Well, I feel like I can relate to both of your experiences. Jen, you were talking about being a couple steps ahead of everybody else. And you're so right. You don't have to be an expert to be able to teach other people anything. You can just be a little bit further along on your journey. And for me too, this podcast, Jill, you were talking about using it as a learning experience. There's something powerful about putting yourself out there as a means almost of keeping yourself accountable as you seek to improve your own knowledge on something. And so that brings me to my most pressing question today, and it has to do with the way frugality as a lifestyle is perceived. Um, I am of the opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems as though the general consensus is that being frugal or being thrifty or dare I even say being cheap, right? these are not attributes that many people in the United States aspire to. It's not perhaps a desirable trait to have. So what are your thoughts on that? Jill, we'll start with you. But more than what are your thoughts on it? Like, How have you reframed the concept of frugality to be not necessarily a negative, but a heck yes, positive?
2: Yeah, Stephanie, you're not wrong. There is certainly a stigma attached to frugality. And Jen and I have come to a place where we we have redefined and we are trying to help others to redefine frugality to be good stewardship of all of our resources. Because money and finances and frugality, it touches on all aspects of our personhood, our relationships, our physical space, our mental health, emotional health, all of these Areas are touched by money and some of the money decisions and vice versa. And when we can be good stewards of our time, energy, capacity, relationships, natural resources, physical space, we are going to see good benefits on our wallet, but it's not just about being cheap. We don't even use that word. It's a it's a bad C word for us that we don't say that because it can be so relative. What I spend on, if it's aligned with my values, is can be okay for me versus it could be totally different for you, Stephanie, and it is totally different for Jen. And so we really want to advocate for what we call the radical middle in personal finance and frugality that, that rejects this idea that you have to live under a rock and wash all of your plastic bags and reuse your paper plates to be able to have anything in this life or the other extreme that's being sold to us of just go out and live your life and go on the best vacations and money will work itself out. But yet, where's where is the, where's the tension in those two? Like We're being sold either extreme and we're saying there's a radical middle that holds the tension of both of those extremes where we can live the life that We want within the parameters that we've been given financially and in our capacity and energies and physical spaces. And it's just that intentional learning to live within those parameters that we set for ourselves.
1: Yeah. I've seen so many times in the personal finance community where like frugal is the F word. Nobody wants to be frugal. We invite people onto the show and they're like, well, I'm not really frugal. And I was like, "Well, you make informed decisions about your spending and you have self-control and you know what you value and what you don't. Like that's frugal. And so we're trying to redefine this to be a lifestyle that's more associated with freedom, that I can spend money on the things I want without guilt, that we are teaching people how to spend well, not to not spend. um and and just the other side of that coin is to say no relentlessly to the things that we don't value, and to build boundaries when it's uh, impossible to say no to those things.
0: You ladies speak to my soul there. And as we're talking, I'm thinking, you know, frugality likely gets a bad rap because it's countercultural, right? It goes against the grain, just like sustainable minimalism. Anything that is a challenge to the status quo. Any lifestyle, in this case, that's a challenge to the status quo, gets shunned, gets looked down upon, right? So I love what you both are saying is that, I think what you both are saying is that it's an intentional choice, getting in touch with, how do you want to live? How do I want to live? And so the status quo, right, like an over-consumptive society that's rooted in capitalism, Frugality threatens that. So we're talking about impulsive spending today because this is a topic that my listeners consistently write to me about. They are working at being more conscious consumers. They're trying to get their finances under control. However, impulsive spending continuously rears its ugly head. So I'm of the belief that In order to first get control of our impulsive purchases, we first must get in touch with ourselves. So Jen, I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on that? What core values do we really have to drill down? Uh, What has to happen before we tackle the impulsive spending habit?
1: Yeah, to get in control of your impulse spending Is just being in touch with the things that you truly value. And sometimes that is core values. So like high level, what are the things that make me tick? And then sometimes it's just, you know, like peripheral values. Like I really love working at a coffee shop and having a cup of coffee outside of my house, just getting outside of my house to work. So that's one of the things I value doing once a week. Sometimes I don't plan when I'm going to do that. I put it in the schedule and, and whenever I get to it, I get to it. So it's knowing what you like, but I think more importantly in the way that we can like, really get at impulse spending is deciding what we don't value. Because it's very easy. Like If you just ask me all these things, like, sure, I value that. Sure, I value that. like I could value everything but you really don't value everything. There's probably like maybe 10 things that you really love um, that you can spend on without guilt. It's saying no to everything outside of that. So really looking at your transactions and prioritizing which of these were the ones that gave like were life-giving, which are the ones I really enjoyed regardless of price or if they were planned, unplanned, whatever. Which ones gave me life? Which ones do I not even remember? Or maybe... I just went just out of obligation because everyone at work was going or because my friends were going like all of that, you know, nonsense. So it's looking at your transactions and continuing to choose the life-giving ones and just saying no vehemently to the things that that you don't love.
2: And I would just add to this that often impulse spending is a behavior. And so if we're talking about impulse spending on something that we don't feel good about, so of course you've got the one lens of you've given yourself permission to maybe spend a certain amount in a certain area and be able to have flexibility. That's one side. That's one facet of this that there is permission for. But if we still find ourselves doing and spending on things that later on we think, ah, why did I do that? I wish I wouldn't have. Then we do want to address it at deeper than the behavior level versus just changing the the impulse spending. Usually it it requires us to dig a little deeper and say, well, what was that connected to? And usually when we're talking about impulse spending on things that we are not glad that we did, it feels like money wasted. It feels like a thing that we don't don't actually want, then it is most likely connected to some sort of emotional response or coping mechanism that's happening for us. And so then there's a variety of ways that we can tackle that, but it is going to cause some pause and some curiosity with self if we're really going to see some changes in those root behaviors.
0: Hmm. Well, we need to talk more about that after a break because that speaks to me and I need to know because I feel as though personally for me, I tend to impulsively spend, despite what I preach every single week on this show, despite my core values, I do feel the pull to impulsively spend when I'm not feeling great, when I'm feeling sad or depressed or just down in the dump. So Jen, when we get back, Jen and Jill, when we get back, we're going to talk all about ways in which we can rein in our impulsive spending. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important And we are back. Today, we're talking about all things impulsive spending with Jen Smith and Jill Sirianni. They are the co-hosts of the Frugal Friends podcast. And before the break, I divulged my own issues with impulsive spending. I do feel as though it gets harder to resist the allure of throwing my values to the wind and acting rebelliously, and just buying something, that's really hard to resist when I'm feeling bad, when I'm feeling low. And so I'm wondering if either of you have anything to say about that. Am I just strange? Is this normal? Is it rooted in research? Help me out. It's actually really normal. Everybody experiences
1: it. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's that whole classic, why do I say I want to do this and yet I do something else? It's really valuable when you're in that rebellious state to take five seconds and think about what triggered that, what triggered you wanting to be in that rebellious state. I know sometimes specifically for rebellious things, it's, um, maybe like after you talk to your mom on the phone or after you like visit your parents or something, that's an actual, yeah, that's an actual trigger for some, like doing some kind of rebellious action. But like, I know there's another one that's like, there's a habit of stopping to get takeout every time you're on the way home from the grocery store. Um, which is one that I've definitely been guilty of. But yeah, so it's like, it doesn't even have to be negative emotions. It can be positive emotions too. Like every time I land a client at work, I celebrate by spending money. So it's like all these things. And if you just take five seconds to stop before you make the purchase and think, okay, why what triggered this? And then you can decide... I still want to go through with this purchase even though like I know what the trigger is or you can stop it right there.
2: I would also add to I mean the the language of rebellious is interesting to me and it also makes me wonder if there's too stringent of parameters in place. Like if we as grown adults are feeling quite like, let's say it's happening often, like more than once a week where we feel oh, I need to do this rebellious thing. Well, then that might make me curious to know whether or not the parameters that you've put in place for yourself are are realistic or not. I think sometimes we can approach our finances and money similar to how our culture can approach dieting, where it just is so strict, so stringent, has to do with overwhelming amounts of willpower and you got to be perfect all of the time. And that's just not realistic. And where is there permission and freedom for an enjoyable dessert or a beverage that you like or, you know. If if we're talking our physical space, like having a junk drawer, that's allowed. Having some play money, so that if you want something while you're out, yeah, you've got twenty bucks each week that you're able to spend. Like, I think again, there's multiple ways that we can look at this in the different layers, but that language of rebellious. As an adult, is curious to me of well, what's happening? And, and are we setting up realistic parameters for ourselves, or is there greater freedom that can happen here too?
1: Yeah. And one thing, if you want like a practical tip, like actions to take to do that, I like um James Clear's habit loop. He gives so there's Q is the first thing that triggers a habit. And there are five Kind of different cues. Those five cues can be triggering the habit of impulse spending. Um, so, time of day, location where you are or where you're on your way to, preceding event, emotional state, or other people. So, every time you make a impulse spending, if you can tie it back to one of those, you can start to change the habit based on changing the cue or altering the cue in some way.
0: Jill, you've pegged me. I do feel as though I'm I'm either black or white. I'm either following the rules, the made-up rules that I made, or I'm not. And I would also say that I'm pretty rebellious. Like, I like to buck whatever rules that are in place, whether I made them or not. And I'm saying that out loud. It sounds so crazy. But, you know, if I'm drilling down, like what you were saying, Jen, with regard to going a little bit deeper and feeling, you know, what what's below the layers. Well, if I'm feeling low despite following all the rules all the time, so I'm following all the rules, I'm like doing everything right, but I'm still feeling low. Well, that's when the rebellion comes into play and I just want to say screw it and buy the things and not do it in an informed way. So there we go. We just solved one of my problems. But for the listeners who are listening who are not rebellious or making stringent rules for themselves, uh, I would say that impulse spending comes up for them with regard to keeping up with the Joneses, or another way to say that would be fitting in, right? We as human beings have an evolutionary need to belong. And in 2022, in a consumerist society, belonging starts by looking the part, by driving the car, by wearing the clothes. And so Jill, let's start with you on this one. How can those of us who want to fit in, which by some degree really is all of us, how can we fit in without prescribing to the latest Style trend, the latest car purchase, the latest whatever, the latest boat, the latest house. How can we fit in without prescribing to the trends, which ultimately at the end of the day leave us spending more than we wanted to spend?
2: Before we can find belonging, community, a fitting in, we have to find that in ourselves first. And I don't mean to get super wooey wooey on this one, but I think until we Feel a confidence, some version of security or anchoring inside of ourselves, we will continue to grapple and grasp unsuccessfully in finding belonging outside of ourselves. We do need that. I think we need people. I think there's great benefit in community and and feelings of belonging, but we're not going to find it unless we feel at ease to some degree with inside of ourselves. And that's going to be attached in some regard to our own core values, what we feel good about doing, spending on, engaging in. And when I say spending, I'm talking about financial spending, but I'm also talking about spending of energies and resources and time and relational capacities and what do I say are my core values? I know we're using that term a lot. It is different for everybody. I mean, we all have similar core values in valuing family and friends and fulfilling work and faith. But beyond that, what else is vital and crucial and important? And when I feel really good about those things and the way that I'm engaging in the world and the way my lifestyle looks, it helps me to find the community that's going to give me that kind of true belonging. I have found for myself that luxury vehicles, uh, handbags, Made by all the designers. They're just, they're not important to me. That doesn't mean that I devalue anyone who does value those things. It's just that's not what's important to me. So it's not what I'm going to spend on. So I'm not going to feel guilty or put down by the communities where that is valuable to them. And maybe that means that the people who are in my closest circles might be ones with similar core values to me. Or I can find people who value other things, but they're not going to put me down because I'm not spending on those things. But ultimately, it's really going to come from me identifying the way that I want to live my life that feels congruent for me and then engaging with others from there. And that's where I'm going to find communities of belonging.
1: Yeah. I think belonging as an adult, especially into your 30s, is hard no matter what group you want to belong in or what like ethos you want to have so a lot of it does come down to assimilating and and that knowing yourself internally and being comfortable with yourself. I so I do crossfit which is not a cheap way to work out. So a lot of people I work out with and I'm friends with there have different values than me, but they all know that I have a frugal living podcast and they all, you know, poke fun at me. But they also respect what I do and what I value. And so that has been really good. Even you won't have the same values as everyone in your community, but you can still, when you find the right people, you can still belong places, even if you have different values than the people there. And it's great to have communities where um, they are based on a shared value but that doesn't have to be all of your belonging and all of your community. You can assimilate in there if you're confident and true to your own values.
0: Yeah. You know, as you both were talking, I was thinking about my 8-year-old and she's becoming more self-aware. She's becoming more aware of the right hairstyle, the right clothes, the right sneakers. And so I'm I'm thinking about the question I asked you both but i'm also thinking about well what what would my answer be if my 8 year old you know said something along the same lines i'm not liked because i don't have the best sneakers let's say i would say that this is likely a simplistic answer for an 8 year old but it applies to us 30 somethings 40 somethings 50 somethings as well which is if we're not accepted because our external selves are not looking <laughs> like everybody else well Is that the crowd we really want to be hanging with? That would be a question I pose to my eight-year-old. And I guess I would pose it to all of you listeners as well, right? Um, If you don't feel as though you fit in with your crowd, perhaps you need to find a different crowd. So super simplistic, but just something to think about. I'm wondering, before we say goodbye, ladies, I'm wondering two things. Number one is, how did you both get a handle on impulse spending personally in your own lives? And what would be like steps two, three, four, and five, perhaps, for listeners who after they get their core values drilled down, what's like the intermediate steps for them? Yeah, so two, three,
1: four, five, it's it's all like a it's it's a journey because you're not even gonna go to steps two and three. You you're not even gonna have your core values down as you progress. That's something that you kind of always have to be looking at because values change too. Like when I became a mom, my values drastically changed. When I became a wife, my values changed. So don't worry about nailing them down a hundred percent before you you move on. But I think it's it's being aware of um of your transactions, not just your financial transactions, but also your time transactions, um, your mental transactions, the thoughts running through your head. That's going to be that whole person mentality of frugality, being a good steward of our mental energy, our time, our space, all of that. That's really a journey. And just, just picking up tools along the way that help you be more intentional with each of them because they all build on each other too. When I have a really stressful schedule, I'm going to be spending more on takeout and convenience items. When I am talking negatively about myself to myself, I'm going to be using more financial wa- things to cope or wasting more time on social media, stuff like that. So to isolate finances as this single thing that we just have to focus on that and then that's all we do is naive. We do have to be thinking about the other parts of our life, our whole personhood in order for each of those things to work.
2: So when we find ourselves in that kind of back and forth and that that maybe the yo-yo swing or the pendulum swing, I think it is worth identifying are the parameters that I've set in place for myself realistic? Do they provide me enough permission? Is there enough freedom within them? Because if we feel like we keep going from one extreme to the other, that could be an indicator that we have too many restrictions on ourselves, and that needs to be revisited. But then beyond that, I love to talk about this idea of of holding the tension, maybe in place of balance. Because I mean, if anyone's been on a seesaw, we know balance is really hard to achieve. And then once you do it, someone wants to be silly and fly off the other side, and then you end up on your butt and just balance. It it might be achieved for a small amount of time and then it gets all out of whack. And so holding the tension rather than an either or approach, maybe considering a both and approach, opportunities when you can go to the store and buy some of the things that you want and opportunities when you're gonna say no to yourself and you're gonna set up those parameters and you're gonna find other coping mechanisms. So yeah, it's that that holding the tension and giving space and freedom and permission and just having grace on yourself As you find this pathway forward that is ultimately aimed at well being for you and the planet and your community and your household.
0: Well, that is a perfect place to leave it. Jen and Jill, I want to thank you both so much for coming on the show. Listeners, you can find everything we talked about today and more in the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 317. Quick note if you love this show, if you receive benefit from the content, if it improves your life, even the littlest bet, please consider leaving it a very quick rating or review on Apple or Spotify. Thank you so much for taking the 10 seconds. On Thursday's show, we are discussing, It's a, you're going to think it's boring, but it's going to be so much fun. We're discussing laundry detergent. Oh yes, I will see you then. Put your seatbelts on. It's going to be a good one. See you on Thursday and take care.